Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens and My Time Capsule is a podcast where I ask my guest to tell me the five things from their life, any time in their life, that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to see again or keep safe but they also pick one thing they'd like to forget from their life, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is Tom Reed Wilson. As well as being a celebsco dating legend and friend to the stars, Tom is also a singer, actor and presenter. He was born in Berkshire and attended the Royal Academy of Music, where he studied musical theatre. In fact, Tom auditioned for The Voice back in 2016, giving an incredible rendition of Accentuate the Positive. You know, Accentuate the Positive. It was better than that. Unfortunately, while he got a standing ovation from the audience, none of the judges turned their chairs for Tom. Still, Tom has written two books on etymology, one for children called Every Word Tells a Story, and On the Tip of My Tongue for Adults. He won Celebrity Mastermind, was second on Celebrity Best Home Cook to Ed Balls, who does a very nice Sunday lunch, and has appeared on a multitude of shows such as Michael McIntyre's The Wheel, Britain's Got More Talent, 8 Out of 10 Cats, and Celebrity Juice. Tom is a great supporter of the arts and green initiatives and is a campaigner for Wildwood and the Kent Wildlife Trust, as well as an ambassador for acting for others. He's a devout logophile who hosts his own podcast, Tom Reed Wilson Has Words With. Tom has appeared all over the world in pantomime as the evil fairy in Sleeping Beauty, as the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, as the eponymous cat in The Hat, in concert and most recently as Bill in Sweet Revenge. 
is pretty ubiquitous and unique. So here is the uniquely ubiquitous Tom Reed Wilson and the five things he would like to put in a time capsule. Have fun. But it's lovely to see you because I remember you very distinctly on the singing competition. Oh, on The Voice? I do. Oh, my. Oh. Because I remember my wife and I both being furious that nobody turned around. Oh. Be- because I, you know, as a singer, I said, well, that man's got a beautifully trained voice. You can hear. He can sing anything. Oh, my. It was the oldest song of the series. It was a 1943 song called Accentuate the Positive. Oh, that's right, yes. And it was on their very, very long list because they give you, if memory serves, they give you a list of 750 songs approximately. Wow. So you can't pick anything, but there's an awful lot there Mm. that you can choose from. It's like the sort of world's best karaoke list, really. <laughs> to be played by a band. Oh, yes. And they're very generous to you because they'll do a bespoke arrangement for you that sort of befits your style and your register and all of that. And I thought they were most munificent. Mm. I, I, I had a lovely time. They didn't turn for me. I was a terrible flop. But the show itself was extraordinary extremely generous to me because they said, oh, you know, since you flopped, we might skip you entirely, you know. And actually, they played eight minutes of me, my whole backstory, my whole exchange with the judges, my entire song. Right. Um, and that resulted in Celebs Go Dating because somebody saw it. Yeah, well, I did. Yes, you (laughs) did. And remembered it. And your spouse did. Yes. And the the thing is that when you see that and somebody comes across, as you did, very naturally, as charming, you just think, what a delightful person. And it's stuck in my mind. So how lovely for the two of us to be linked up like this now. Oh, I think it's lovely. And, you know, if I believe in anything, I think it's kismet. And I think there was a big dollop of that in, in the voice and the people that saw it and subsequent connections. Yes. And some of the people that worked on that show behind the scenes I've subsequently worked with. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, you know this better than anyone because you work such a lot in, in such divergent projects. But <laughs> yes. there's so much interconnectivity in our world, isn't there? There is, and you never go down the road that you think you're going to go down. So, no. you know, you're Royal Academy, and you would think, well, okay, well, I know what my route is. I can imagine my route in life, but it's never what you think it is. No. You've done your homework, haven't you? I, I have that. done my homework. <laughs> but I, <laughs> you know, you look at those things and think, how interesting, how lovely to have studied at the Royal Academy oh. and then gone on to Rose Bruford. And it's a really complex and interesting thing. It does make you sort of grow an inch, Mike, you know, the sort of hallowed grounds. And you Mm. can't help but think about the magical people that went before you, you know. No, absolutely. But it's a great way to be in life, I think. And I imagine that you almost certainly are, is that as opportunities come along, you just follow them. Well, very often it's sink or swim, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I, I, I think. I saw you, I have to say, I saw you do a brilliant turn very recently because I am a devotee of ghosts. Ah, yes. And I saw you in that and you really tickled me. It's such a 
brilliant concept, that show. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I was so desperate to get that part because I do love that show. And I have to say everybody involved in it, they are the most delightful people you could ever work with, all of them. That is so heartening to hear because one gets that impression of a sort of very beloved ensemble just having a ball. And it's lovely to hear that that is the case. And they've been together for a long, long time, since they were very young. They started on Horrible Histories together. Yes, of course they did. And they've gone right the way through. It's so delightful. Did you ever do a Horrible History, Mike? No. I think, uh, had Horrible Histories come along when I was a young man, I think I might have been on the list of the people who would have been auditioning for it. Yes, I think you'd be very well suited to some of those tales. It's the sort of thing I did at that age. You know, in my 20s and 30s, I did a lot of playing of silly characters and different people all the time. Well, you're a master of accents, aren't you? <laughs> Not a master of accents. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> typically, here I am. Uh, I've not quite gone into my Sir Henry voice, which is the character I play in Benidorm, which is really one of those rather louche, terrible, sort of rather formal, you know. I mean, the sort of man you wouldn't leave alone with your wife or your daughter or your son. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I've not quite gone into that, but I do tend to be influenced by the people I'm talking to. So here I am with you being very RP. And I spoke to Danny Baker, the DJ, the other week, and I went right down to, you know, I was uh, was proper London. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My mum does that. It's so funny. She's such a social comedian. Well, I don't know. Is it is it trying to fool people or is it just, in a way, inadvertently paying them a compliment? I think so. I think it's an extension of good manners, you know, in a way. It's sort of saying, I, I want to speak in your music and your rhythm. And actually, that brings me to a fascinating piece of Etymology, I think, Mm. because accent comes from the Latin canary, meaning to sing. And it's a regional song. It actually shares its etymology with words like cantata and descant, which is a song above. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very apposite, really, because more even than the vowel sounds and those sorts of um, very clear alterations... The entire score changes. And that's what dazzles me about our country in particular, because you can travel five minutes down the road Mm. and you have a totally different accent. Yes. It's extraordinary. Yes, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it's, it's a wonderful gift to have an ear as you have and to be able to tune into that music and either consciously or unconsciously start singing that song, if you like. Oh, well, that's nice. That's a lovely way to think of it, actually, that I'm joining in with their song. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's a duet. Wonderful. I can't think of anything nicer than singing all day long. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you're the same. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, yes. And I I very often sort of inadvertently half sing things. You know, there's a wonderful bit in, in Mary Poppins where Mary Poppins sees Admiral Boom on top of his house. Mm hmm. And the line is, good morning, Admiral. And she says, good morning, Admiral. And it's (laughs) so nearly sung Mm -hmm. that you could almost notate it, you know. Yes. And and I love it when everyday discourse becomes sort of sing-sungy and you you feel as though you could almost score it if you had to. And and in fact, she does that with um, Spitzbot. Yes, it's true. It's the same tune. It's very true. (laughs) And I think it's a clever thing because... 
I think a lot of musical theatre performers do that. And Barbara Streisand does it as well. And it makes that transition from scene into song Mm -hmm. seamless because the dialogue is part sung. So it's sort of, I think it's very clever. I don't know if it's conscious or not, but it's it's very clever. Yes, I've, I've done a few musicals in my time. And I always like the ones where, in fact, the conversation does actually flow straight into the first word of the song. Yes. So, in fact, the introduction is is underscoring your dialogue. Yes, I think that's wonderful. And they're my favourite kinds of musicals where the song is sort of built in and there's this sort of wonderful crescendo through the libretto towards the song mm. so that it doesn't go clunk. <laughs> yes. You almost don't notice. I think that's a, a really clever part of the art form. Yes, it's a bit clunky, isn't it, when people say, but you don't love me, darling, but I do love you because... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it is the absolute pinnacle of clunk. Yes, <laughs> but then charming in its own way. If you think of, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, if you think of the boyfriend and things, that's full of those sort of things, oh, which are just yes. lovely. Oh, the Boyfriend. <laughs> oh, I adore that. Yes. I could be happy with you. Ah, uh, if you could be happy with me. Oh, my, I could. <laughs> what wonderful art you have behind you. And is that a map behind you, immediately behind you? This, this one here, mm. is done by a friend of mine. It's, it's a famous picture of um, Marlene Dietrich in, in, I think, the blue something or other the film's called. Oh, The Blue Angel. The Blue Angel, yes. It's a scene from oh, The Blue Angel, but it's a, it's a screen print. Oh. Screen print done by a friend of mine who who actually did it when we were at college. That's how old that is. And she gave it to me as a present on the birth of my daughter, who's now 40, well, just about to be 41. Oh, this that is absurd that you have a 41-year-old daughter. <laughs> You're telling me. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, I am potty about Dietrich. One of my favourite films ever is um, Witness for the Prosecution. Mm. You've seen that? Yes, wonderful. Isn't that extraordinary? She's fabulous in that. It's so sad, isn't it, at the end? Oh, it's desperate. And you know what she's going to do. I mean, I don't want to do any spoilers, but you know. You just see it in her eyes from the moment she's discarded. Yeah. Oh. oh, gosh, you know, it's a big weepy. <laughs> I, I just saw another one that prompted a great deal of ocular seepage on my part <laughs> the other day. Um, a, a man called Otto. you seen that? I haven't, but do you know this podcast has actually been sponsored by it sometimes, so we do have adverts going out saying, go to see a man called Otto. Oh, gosh. Well, I didn't know that, mm. and this is not a plug. It's just a true story. I went on a whim Mm -hmm. about three days ago and didn't have very high expectations. In fact, the man working in the cinema said, I think it's a a bit contrived. And I thought, well, you know I've bought a ticket. Please don't tell me that. (laughs) And then I went in and I thought it was anything but. Right. And I wept. Also, I thought Tom Hanks, as the complete antithesis I, I gather in love, of a curmudgeon, mm. played the most wonderful curmudgeon. Yes, yes, he's quite an actor, isn't he? 
He's a tremendous actor. He would definitely be Sir Tom if you were here. Oh, yes. Mm. I, I quite agree with you. Yeah, wonderful. Well, talking of favourites, what we're supposed to do is pick five things from your life that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Yes. Well, I know one thing that I would have to put in there was the first album that I ever bought. I was in Littlehampton with my maternal grandmother, who is one of my best chums. She's wonderful and very young at heart. We went into Woolworths and I found myself in the easy listening section. And I found this wonderful Best of Ella Fitzgerald album. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first song was It's Only a Paper Moon, which I think is the best song about the arts because it sort of says you know it's only a paper moon, you know it's only a cardboard tree, mm-hmm. and it's only a muslin sky. But if you buy into it with me, we'll suspend disbelief together. And I think that is a wonderful description of the kind of congregational feeling of the arts and, and how we're asked to, to enter into this world of make-believe. Uh, so I'd have to take that album. Oh, Tom, I've never, I've never heard those lyrics that way. And clearly that's what's intended. I've heard that song a hundred times and it's never occurred to me that, that it's actually is a literal description of a, of a set. Yes, yes. And how quickly, with a little imagination and a little of the right intent, mm. it can become a whole world. Yes, and faith as well, if you believe in me. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I'm going to paint a character onto this set, onto this wonderful backdrop. Mm. And if you believe in what I've painted, then we'll be very happy and we'll make a wonderful story together. And Mm. it's about, I think, the arts and the theatre in particular is the most wonderful crystallisation, distillation of humanity at its best because you've got one force on one side of the footlights, very willing and eager to make a story, and then another force on the other, uh, creating a story. And the story is really made in a sort of suspended spectral way above the footlights because of these two forces. And I always think that that's a wonderful metaphor for humanity, because if we positively work together, these extraordinary things are created. Mm. and it can be a tremendous force for good. Yes, and we've all been in plays where the audience were the the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That completely destroys everything. Yes. Or, in fact, you know, the actors sometimes, you're in an audience and you look and you think to yourself, you're not doing this for me. You don't want me to come along with you. No, no. Mm. I have an awful example of of making an enemy of an audience member. I was in a, a... pantomime playing the evil fairy Firena, who really was maleficent in mm. Sleeping Beauty. I'm sure you're magnificent in that. <laughs> well, I love the ensemble. I had the highest pair of scarlet stilettos you've ever seen. <laughs> um, and anyway, I said something particularly evil to the prince. And we had a school performance one matinee, and this cherubic looking he must have been six-year-old, stood up and said in response to my cruel line, oh, fuck off and die. (laughs) My life's completely gone. I mean, I'm a terrible corpse. (laughs) 
I was completely gone. And so was the prince. And it <laughs> didn't just last the scene. It lasted the remainder of the play. It was just I'm sure. <laughs> there is nothing funnier than inappropriate swearing. Yes, especially from the mouths of babes. <laughs> I've never seen such a cherubic face. Oh, that's brilliant. And this film emerged from it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a difficult role to play, I always think, the baddie in a pantomime, because mm-hmm. in a way you have to sort of slightly terrify them. You have to make them hate you. Yes. But at the same time, they have to know that you're going to lose. Yes, that's very true. And you have to do a sort of constant conversion of booze to applause in your mm-hmm. own frontal lobe. You have mm-hmm. to say, oh, the more the, they boo, that essentially is my clap. Yes. It's different to everybody else's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, particularly for the walk now, which is terrible. You think, I've just given a yes. performance, and you come out there, boo. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Have you played some panto baddies before? I've only ever played Hook. Oh. But oh. I sort of played him as a as a buffoon, a complete buffoon. So oh. he wasn't that evil. I'm not very good at the evil bit. I've, I've always started with Hook, with just going, ah, you, I'll cut you all to pieces. And then trying to take my sword out and being unable to do it and going, hang on a minute. Ooh, ah. <laughs> and then pulling it out and going, ow, oh, I've cut my finger. Mm. I wonder how um, Jason Manton did it at the palace in Manchester, because I had my nephews who are seven and 20 months for New Year's Eve, and we stayed at the Midland and pretended to be Macaulay Culkin and bounced <laughs> on the beds, and it was gay <laughs> abandon. And then we went to see Matilda in the morning, and uh, as we walked from the Midland to the Everyman, we passed the Palace Theatre, and my nephew, who adores Peter Pan, said, mm. oh, look, Peter Pan's playing Uncle Tom. And he said, who's he playing, pointing to Jason? And I said, he's playing Captain Hook. And he said, he looks too nice uh, and yes. friendly to play Captain Hook. Yeah, I think considering that he must have had to have been involved in lots of the comedy routines, I think he would have had to play it as someone who, you know, you sort of accepted had a funny side. Yes. The question is how he did it in the first place, because he is the hardest working man I've ever known in my life. Oh, yeah. He never stops. He's unbelievable. No. And I think he's got something like six children. Yes, incredible. Yeah. And another guy like you with so many strings to his bow, because he's got a wonderful voice. Oh, an amazing And, of course, voice, yeah. his stand-up's terrific. And, I mean, just... Yes, all round. He's very annoying, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be a guest on this coming up soon. Oh, great. He's, he's absolutely promised to do it. We oh. haven't done it yet, but it's all being arranged. That's an example of just how generous he is as a man. Yes. Yes. So Ella Fitzgerald, though, we have to go back to that because what a voice, what an album to buy as a young man. What an extraordinary thing to do. What led you down that route? Why didn't you buy uh, Bross or whatever it would have been? (laughs) Well, I think that the first kind of music I ever fell in love with was also because of my maternal granny. She gave me a collection of old vinyls, which were all original cast recordings of My Fair Lady and Oklahoma and Carousel and The King and I. I mean, all all those wonderful Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe classics. Mm. And I was dotty about them. And in fairly short order, 
I realized that the lion's share of jazz repertoire in, in Ella's day was covers of those songs from the shows with mm-hmm. wonderful sort of key changes and bendiness and moving things about and being very playful with them, but but also curiously quite loyal to them. Mm. And so it was a very natural genre as a sort of uh, pairing with the golden age of Broadway. Yes. And she was always my favourite exemplar of that uh, treatment of those songs because she has such wonderful phrasing and she delivers lyrics like an actor and does very, very clever things emotionally. Like, for example, uh, in Every Time We Say Goodbye, mm. she almost moans as she does the change from major to minor. You know, there, uh. there's, there's, there's almost a lament in there, which is sort of an actor's lament. And I, I adore her delivery. And before, long before I could articulate it she resonated with me mm. also i think she's the only singer i ever listened to where i don't think about what she's doing technically <laughs> at all it just seems to proceed from her larynx and so i just sort of bask in it you know yes it is like somebody pouring warm treacle over you isn't it yes oh what an apt description yes it is like warm treacle yes mm. yes beautiful a long time ago, I saw somebody in a comedy show, uh, which I thought was quite a clever line. He had a song in it, and he said, uh, It's strange the change from major to minor, but not as strange as major to major. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I only did it for you because I knew you liked the musical joke. Yes, yes I love it. <laughs> Well, let's put the wonderful Ella Fitzgerald and that very first album into the time capsule as your first thing. Thank you. Marvellous. We're on the journey. How exciting. Thank you. So what else do you think you might put in there? I think I would have to put in my granny's salt pig. <laughs> but I'm going to show it to you. Okay. Mike, I think this is so impressive. Apparently, as a potter, it's very difficult to make because you have to put this sort of funnel on it. Uh, but my my that same maternal granny mm-hmm. made this for me last Christmas. And when my grandpa died, um we we were a bit worried, you know, that she didn't have a sort of creative outlet. She she did wonderful tapestries, but she'd always talked about a desire to become a potter. Mm. Uh, but I think that she was a little bit fearful of, of getting out there. As I, I, I think grieving people, you know, they want to live with it for a spell. And um, we found this lovely local pottery class in Blandford, where she was at the time, in a little cottage with a great big garden with wonderful herbs and all sorts of flowers. And Granny is, you know, wonderful botanist. Mm-hmm. And she loved the class and she was an absolute natural. And then she moved to Wantage in Oxfordshire and we sort of panicked because we didn't know if there would be something similar. And in fact, we found uh, a class there locally that was even lovelier. And the teacher has become one of my granny's best friends. And she's such a wonderful teacher and Granny has grown so much in confidence that 
she really is quite doughty about the sorts of things that she'll now attempt. Well, hence that salt pig, which is, as you say, a very difficult thing to make. I mean, it's it's sort of a teapot shape, yes. but without the handle. It is. And, and then it has a very large hole at the front so you can take the salt out. I mean, I'm only describing it for people who can't see it and don't know what they look like. Yes, and it does almost look porcine because it sort of has mm-hmm. a snout and the etymology of it is debatable, but... <laughs> It does look a little bit. It does, yes. In quite a sweet, attractive sort of a way. Mm. So I'd have to have that because I have lots of pieces of her pottery, but that is my favourite. And that's a skill that she's only developed recently. Yes, yes. In the last, oh gosh, when did Grandpa die? Probably six years ago now. Um, But she's she's a wonder, terribly self-deprecating about her talents, but I think she's extraordinary. I agree. I think that that standard of pottery in six years is is extraordinary. But she's a very precise person. She also does tapestries, and, you know, that is a real exercise in precision. So I think that, you know, she turns her hand to something, and the other thing she used to do, her hands are a little bit too arthritic to do it now, but she used to make wedding cakes, and she made flowers for those cakes that you absolutely would buy as real flowers. You know, <laughs> they were so authentic. And the fine motor skills for that and the detail mm. can't be overstated, really. So I, I think it is, in a way, a natural progression of using her hands. Mm. It's a lovely thing, isn't it, to watch someone be precise? Oh, so relaxing. It's I don't get that ASMR thing, but the closest I get is is that hypnotic thing of watching somebody paint or watching somebody fashion clay or mm-hmm. or do a tapestry or something like that. I, it is absolutely mesmeric. It is. It relaxes you completely as well. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. I. It's no wonder that they used to put on the television years and years ago, they would have breaks in the television and they had things like the potter's wheel. Did you know this? No, I didn't know that. What a super idea. It is a weird idea, though, actually, but that people had no choice. If they wanted to continue watching the television, you would sit for 10 minutes and watch someone make a pot. Gosh, I wonder if you can find that on YouTube. I wonder if we could sell it as an idea to some commissioning editor. Mm. <laughs> the Relax Channel. Let's start the Relax Channel. Yes, there must be somewhere an ASMR channel because it's huge on YouTube. Indeed, yes. I mean, all those things that are huge on YouTube that have not really been followed by television yet, I think that they're missing a trick. Yes, I quite agree with you. Well, from your lips to someone's ears. (laughs) Yes, that's often been the way. (laughs) Unfortunately, not from their bank account to mine. (laughs) 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 Well, your granny, what a lovely part of the country to live and what a wonderful thing to do. Yes. Oh, she's a tremendous character. She's wonderful. Great. Wonderful. Well, let's put that in to remind you of her. Yes. The salt pig. Wonderful. Yes. Okay, that's number two. So moving on. Okay, it's time for the ever popular ad break, which will eventually be interrupted by the second part of this podcast. Apologies for that. See you soon. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to My Time Capsule with the lovely Tom Reed Wilson. Okay, let's find out what else he'd like to put in his time capsule. You can at any point put in the thing that you'd like to dispel from your life. Oh, yes. I've forgotten about that. Um, well, I'm going to have to cogitate about that. I think we'll go on to another thing I adore. Mm-hmm. I have one picture. My, my sister had her third baby on the 18th of December, um, a little baby called Teddy Fox, and he's <laughs> enchanting. And she's very, very good at cultivating uh, sort of green-eyed monster mentality in her other boys. Mm. Um, Especially, she had that difficult interval where the next oldest boy is 20 months. And so it could have been very tricky, but she sort of encouraged the laughter when he sort of naturally found him ticklesome Mm -hmm. and has encouraged that wonderful skin-on-skin bonding, which they all, all three of them absolutely adore. And uh, the nurturing side of him, which I think naturally emerges at about 21 months. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely. And there's one photograph I have. I think it's the only photograph because she's got a double pram. So the 20-month-old hovers above. Ah, uh, one of those, yes. So you, he's very often eclipsed by the 20-month-old. Mm-hmm. But there's one photo where they're all sitting on the sofa together and it's just the boys holding Teddy Fox. And it is enchanting. I have to cleave that to my bosom, you know, <laughs> forever, for eternity, because it's just adorable. And each little face in it has something singular that I sort of associate with them. Mm. Aldo's got a naughty little twinkle. Uh, <laughs> Artie looks like his cup overflows with sort of big brotherly pride. Mm. And Teddy Fox is utterly serene, which seems to be his sort of 
main state, which is sort of <laughs> lucky because Albie is a whirling dervish. So Right, three boys then. Three boys under mm. eight, if you please. Wow. And she doesn't seem threadbare. I mean, you know, I took Artie and Albie off for two days so that she could have some quality time with Teddy Fox. Mm-hmm. And we had a ball. But why would they have a ball going out with you? I can't imagine why. <laughs> well, we had such fun, but I was totally threadbare. I was the bare tapestry <laughs> by the time I returned them. And she just fires on all cylinders at all times. I mean, I'm just dazzled by her. Yes. This sort of extra petrol tank that she seems to have found, which I certainly don't have. No, that's often the case with mothers more than fathers. Fathers, they say, well, I've been working all day. I have to rest. I'm exhausted. <laughs> working all day, yes. surely? Lunch? I think you had lunch. You had a sort of an hour where you sat down. And, yes. and mothers, they just don't get that. That goes on yes. from, what, quite often five o'clock in the morning when children wake up. Yes, they, they don't have a graph, do they? No. It's just sort of, It's just a constant high flat line yeah. of energy. I just, I am in awe. I'm I'm just in awe of parents who do it around the clock. Because, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be a sort of fun uncle that flies in and scoops them up and mm-hmm. goes off on adventures. But to do that eternally, is it's no mean feat. No. And I'm always just dazzled by how people do it and make it diverting and stimulating all the time. I think it's extraordinary. Yes. And I'm sure that photograph makes you aware of that, that she has three boys under eight and that they all are fond of each other. Now, that's a delightful thing among three boys. I I grew up in a family of three boys and I don't remember many times where we would have all sat on a sofa and hugged. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, well, it's jolly, jolly nappy. Fantastic. Yeah. A Teddy Fox, what a great name. Teddy Fox. Yes, he was going to be a Ziggy. Mm-hmm. And two days before he arrived on the planet, my brother-in-law and my sister had supper together. And almost in perfect synchrony, they said, I've got a confession to make. I've sort of gone off Ziggy. <laughs> but heaved a sigh of relief because mm-hmm. they completely were in the same boat. And... <laughs> And they said, well, we haven't got an alternative. We have to sort of brainstorm. And they came up with Teddy Fox. And But he's only Teddy Fox. He's never Foxy or Teddy. Mm. He's just Teddy Fox. Oh, no, that would <laughs> stick. Yeah, that's going to work through his life, I think. Yeah. And I, it's deeply heartening to me because I've always had a fox friend in London, wherever I have lived. Mm. My first one was in Mottingham, with an M, Mottingham, South London. Yes. And... Uh, we had a little garden, which is a real lucking factory in, in London. <laughs> and I was hanging out the laundry one day and this fox came in incredibly tame and sat under the laundry. And I think she liked the smell of it uh-huh. and just sort of sat looking up at it. And I conversed with her and she just was completely relaxed in my company. And once we had established that bond, that happened on the reg, as the kids say. <laughs> and then I had another one in Stockwell who was more interested in the dustbins, but equally tame. And then I moved to Chelsea about three years ago and we have a communal garden. And there's a whole family of them. Yes. And I talk out of the window and they sort of look a little bit expectantly, but, you know, they'll stay and chat if you don't give them anything. Mm. They're enchanting 
And the little ones, I'd never seen little ones before in real life. They're lovely, aren't so they? So Fox is very opposite, really, because I, I seem to have a, an affinity with mm. anything vulpine. Yes. I'm going to cite my, um, I think I may have done this on the podcast before, but I, I have a pet theory about foxes, which is that I think that foxes have almost, in the last sort of 50 or 60 years, evolved into two separate types. I think there's the country fox and I think there's a town fox. And if you see photographs of either, they look very different. This is not an accepted thing. This is my theory. But actually, town foxes have got taller and thinner, and I think that's to do with needing to get into bins. Oh, gosh, isn't that fascinating? Well, if it's correct, it's fascinating. If it's not, it's a load of rubbish <laughs> in all senses of the word. But, I mean, if you look at it's it's the same with lots of things, I think, because I think squirrels are very, very different. Mm. I was dazzled by the first squirrel I met in Regent's Park when I was at the Academy, having my only frame of reference for squirrels really was in Pangorn, where I grew up, where mm. if you got within 20 feet of a squirrel, it would dart up a tree. Yes. And these squirrels would come and chat to you. And pigeons couldn't be more different. You know, they look almost dove-like in the countryside. And in London, they're sort of gnarled and warped and still adorable. But you don't very often see a handsome pigeon. No, you do see that that strange change in nature, which happens quite quickly. The learned skills that animals have. Yes. Because if you're interested in nature, you'll see that exactly what you say. That when I was a boy, birds like magpies were rare. You didn't see them very often because they were cautious of humans. They kept away from them. Now they've worked out that we're actually not going to shoot them and far less likely to shoot them if they're in the town. Yes. So they're all yes. over the place. But then lots of others are fading away, sadly, so we have to be much more careful with them. Uh, let's hope Teddy Fox grows up to be that person, the person who, because of his name, saves the world. <laughs> yes, a bit of nominative determinism. Indeed, yes. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to put that lovely photograph into the time capsule. That's three things, Tom. Oh, and I know my number four. Oh, do you? Good. Okay. I do. My wonderful dad, who really sort of got me going on my etymological journey, because he used to do it when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. He would stop and examine bits of etymology. My favourite one was we passed a beautiful window display in a shop once. Mm. And he said, what a lovely window display. Hmm, window, van der Augen, wind's eye. <laughs> Nothing to do with glass, everything to do with zephyrs dancing in and out of the holes in buildings. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's dazzling. Oh, that is dazzling. He made me very, very passionate about language. I was, I think I was eight. Mm. And he gave me the complete works of Shakespeare. And I have tried to learn all the sonnets. And I have committed about 30 to memory. And oh, I'm going to have to do a big old name drop now, Mike. Please do. I don't mind. Well, I went to see two of my dear, dear, dear friends, Finty Williams and Sammy Williams, mm -hmm. who are Judy Dench's daughter and grandson. Finty's the most fabulous actor. Have you worked with Finty? I have, and in fact, she's been on here. Oh, I say. Yes. What did you do with Finty, Mike? Radio, a long time ago. Oh, a radio play? Yes, and with her father. 
Oh, Michael. he was sensational. I adore a fine romance. I just mm. adore it. Mm. Um, anyway, went to see them on stage. They were absolutely wonderful, witty, coruscating, brilliant. Mm. But it was in Guildford, and I had to book a taxi to the station. And uh, the taxi left without me. I think I probably was talking for too long, garrulous creature that I am. And Finty said, well, we'll take you back to Stockwell, but it means that you have to attend the reception with us because we're committed to do that before we go. Mm. And I said, that's absolutely fine. And so I, I went and it was lovely and everybody was extremely affable and kind. And then uh, eventually I found myself in a corner with Sammy and Judy. And Sammy, who's a dear, dear friend of mine and knew about my sonnet challenge, told Judy and she said, you know, Tom, I tried to do the same thing in lockdown. And she said, I didn't get as far as I would have liked. And uh, Sammy said, you must do one for Ma. And I said, I can't. Oh I can't do that, Sammy. I can't possibly. And she twinkled at me with those magnificent delphinium eyes and said, oh, Tom, do. Mm. And I thought, I can't say no now. No, no. So, so I did. And uh, at the end, she said, well, that was lovely. May I do one for you? And I thought, well, is the Pope a Catholic? Yes, of course you can. <laughs> she said, I'd like to do Gilgood's favourite. So she did a sonnet for me and uh, eyes absolutely twinkling and we were practically nose to nose. It was incredibly oh. intimate. And I just thought this will be tattooed on my frontal lobe until I pop my clogs. This mm -hmm. is the most extraordinary moment. And at the end of it, she said, well, you know, all the sonnets is too much for me and it's too much for you. So why don't we share them? And, you know, every time we meet, we can have a little check-in and see where we've got to. Oh, how marvellous. And I said, absolutely tremendous idea. Yes. So I just learned the first one. I, I know a lot under 70 anyway, because I did start with the earlier ones. Mm -hmm. But it's a wonderful exercise and it really makes the grey cells dance and it keeps the brain sort of dynamic, I think. And so yes. it's a really lovely combined challenge that we've embarked on. So I'd have to take all the songs. It's a wonderful idea. What gave you that idea? Because I don't know if you know, but Sybil Thorndike used to learn a sonnet a day. A day? Mm. Well, that is incredible. I read her memoir and I thought she was a staggering lady. Because, Amazing, I mean, she yes. was... She was an activist and a wonderful orator. And she did it in order to keep her brain active, to keep that ability to learn things. Well, because she said by the time she got to the end, she'd have to relearn the first one. Yes. Yeah, although they do live with you, you know, funnily enough, mm -hmm. because the, the ones that are there, it's almost like, it's almost like hymns, you know. Yes. They, they just lodge somehow. I think it's because they've got so much inbuilt music. Yes. Do you remember what you did for Judy? I did. Those parts of thee that the world's eye doth view want nothing that the thoughts of hearts can mend. All tongues, the voice of souls give thee that due, uttering bare truth, e'en so when foes commend. Thy outward thus with outward praise is crowned, but those same tongues that give thee so thine own, in other accents to this praise confound, by seeing farther than the eye hath shown. They look into the beauty of thy mind, and that in guess they measure by thy deeds, 
Then churls their thoughts, e'en though their eyes were kind, to thy fair flower add the rank smell of weeds. But why thy odor matcheth not thy show? The soil is this, that thou doth common grow. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? I adore that one. The one I've just learned, I think, is the best proof uh, to kind of back up Oscar Wilde's theory that it was written to perhaps a, a young gay man in Shakespeare's company because it's all about the beauty of spring replicating itself um, and the beauty of nature forever replicating itself and how this young man um, can't. His beauty has to live eternally in him because he will have no progeny. Mm-hmm. And the last line is, um, pity the world or else this glutton be to eat the world's dew by the grave and thee. Oh. Because all that beauty you possess, mm. you're, you're taking with you. Mm. And, and I think that could only mean a gay man in, in his day. Yes. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the, the sonnets can be interpreted that way. And, and there's very rarely any sense or any mention of gender when he's talking about the sonnets. Yes. But he's talking about love and also the thing about beauty. I mean, the, the one that talks about it doesn't matter that your beauty fades because this moment, you now will always be with me. I will always hold it as a, it will live forever. Yes, in them, shall I compare thee shall to I compare thee, say, Yes, of course. Through eternal lines to time thou growest. Mm. So long as men can breathe and eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Yes. Yes. Oh, they are just, they're amazing. And they're so, in contemporary terms, they're so progressive because he talks about male beauty in very feminine terms, you know, classically feminine terms. Yes. um, With sort of floral uh, similes and that sort of thing. And uh, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. There's so much there. Yes, I love that in Shakespeare, the fact that professing love for a man, that could either be love in the sense of an attraction for a man or just love. I love you. Yes. I love thee, brother. I love thee, kin. Yes. It's done unabashed. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then somewhere along the line, somebody said, oh, you can't do that. You can't, but a man doesn't do that. No, I know. And and I wonder when that died or when we were all told that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to, to demonstrate your love for another man. Yeah. Because everybody has it. And particularly as a young man, you absolutely love your friends w- with such a passion, don't you? Yes. You do anything for them. Yes, I, I, I quite agree with you. I, was it Phoebe Waller-Bridge that said, friendships are the greatest romances of our lives. <laughs> I, I think that's quite true. It's, it's true in, in my case, certainly. That's nice. Oh, well, um, I, somewhere I have a very old book which has the sonnets and I'm going to try and find it and send it to you because I, oh, it's a tiny God. little pocket book of all the sonnets. And it, it's one of those things that you could slip in your jacket pocket, the top breast pocket, and you wouldn't even know you had it. So I think it's something you should have. I will find it and send it to you. Oh, well, that would be a tranche of heaven. It really would. And it would be a very well-fingered volume. <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I pour over them nightly. Yes, no, you must do. 
When I went to the RSC, I went to a voice class with the voice teacher there, an ancient, ancient, beautiful woman. Yes. And she basically took a bunch of sonnets and then she said, OK, right, today we're going to, um, oh, let's, let's fuck things up a bit, shall we? And she took these sonnets and she threw them into the air. And she said, now catch one and then do it straight away. <laughs> <laughs> it, was the most, it was the most exciting thing. Actors run all over the place. And, just, and she said, no, don't wait for others, just go. And we were all standing there declaiming these sonnets. It was so exciting and such fun. Oh, and she said that another thing that Sybil Thorndike used to say was that in Shakespeare, it's not a pause, it's a poise. Oh, yes, it's always energised and it's always motivated. Yeah. <gasps> did, did you ever see her play? No, I didn't. No, you're too young. No, no, I don't think I am too young. I think I probably could have caught her. Yes, although I did sit in the dressing room, and this is a slightly reflecting story, mm. in that I went with a friend of mine at university to see a play with Gilgood in, and he was her godfather, yeah. and we went backstage to his dressing room. So from a young lad from South London who suddenly found himself in this company, it was a rather shocking thing and a overwhelming. Yes. And I stood in the corner and talked to Gilgood for quite a long time. In his, he sat there in his dressing gown. <laughs> It was an amazing, amazing thing. And I told him that I was learning the part of Orlando. I was learning Orlando for As You Like It. Yes, yes. And, and he said, oh, how, how is the verse speeches going? And he did it. He just did it out of his head. Oh. And so I'd had exactly that experience of having one of those great actors right in your face, very intimately performing for you. Oh. And again, that is, as you say, seared on my forehead. It's, it's tattooed into my face. Yes, It'll yes, never go. yes. I mean... How lucky are we? Mm. How lucky are we to have had those experiences? Amazing. Oh, how fantastic. Well, I should put that in. That's the final thing, the very precious thing that you put into the time capsule, and we certainly take great care of it. Yes. But there's one thing that you want to throw away. Oh, I know what I want to throw away. Mm-hmm. Into dental sticks. <laughs> Because I cannot get that sort of Goldilocks feeling with them that my friend described to me, where one slots through perfectly. They're either too big and I can't get them through at all, or they're too small and they jump through and they make me bleed. Uh They really are beastly and completely toothless, if you'll pardon the pun. They're so ineffective. I'm just a devout flosser, and I think I always will be, because at least it glides and slides, and I can get it where it wants to go. Yes. <laughs> have, have you tried them, Mike? They're mad. No, but I'm very disturbed by the fact that this sounds like a sexual manual. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps we should have a lubricant to accompany them. Yes. Maybe then I could get them through, but they're just nightmares. <laughs> The hygienist says it to me every time, incidental sticks, and I just can't make them work. Though my wife uses them, but I I don't get on with them at all. I agree with you. They're a pain. Well, they can bugger off. They can go into that capsule forever. I find they get stuck, so that's no good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) We're back on the sexual manuals. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice place to linger, really. I never put that in the capsule. (laughs) No. (laughs) Need all the help we can get. Well, I do. Well, look at me. Look at me, Tom. That's all I'll say. You're not the only one. <laughs> oh. No, I, I think you have a twinkle that speaks of a sexual sage. <laughs> Do you? Yes. I think so. <laughs> we need to talk privately. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, brilliant. Tom, I knew it would be a joy to talk to you. Oh. Uh, from the moment I saw you on The Voice, oh. I thought, what a lovely, lovely man. It has been a slice of Elysium, this. It really has. <laughs> I've loved it. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Tom Reed-Wilson. Many thanks for listening. If you've listened before, you'll know all the info that's coming up and can probably skip it or jump to the next episode if you want. If you're a newbie, then welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so we can tell you all about all the new episodes as they become available. And do rate the show. Thank you. Five stars is the easiest, I think. You might even be inspired to write a short review for others arriving late to the party. You can also follow me and my time capsule on social media. Both of us are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and we post different things so it's worth following us both. You can also suggest possible future guests, and we're very happy to chat on there. Well, I am anyway. The theme tune to my time capture was written by the oddly but somewhat charmingly named Past the Peas Music, and it's available to stream or download from Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by my talented son, John Fenton Stevens. But don't forget, we are just a two-man industry, unlike many other podcasts you may know, so as the man with the hernia said to the nurse we are very grateful for your support I'll leave you with this thought if you ever get chased by a murderous pack of taxidermists, whatever you do don't play dead bye small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat, rounded, textured or tall Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.